Hello and welcome to Between the Notes, a motif music podcast taking place at The Parlor in Providence, Rhode Island. Today we are sitting down with local artist Leland Baker. We want to thank The Parlor for sponsoring, as well as our other sponsors, R1 Entertainment, Bolt Coffee, the Trinity Brewhouse Beer Garden, and Dash Bicycle. We'll get started today by enjoying a performance from our guests before we sit down with them to discuss their experiences with the local music scene. So sit back, turn up the volume, and enjoy the show. Thank you. 
Hello, everybody. Welcome to Motifs Between the Notes. My name is Ben Shaw. Uh, we're here at the parlor. We're going to talk to Leland Baker in a sec, but I just want to say that uh, a big thank you to our sponsors, R1 Entertainment Center, Dash, Bolt Coffee, and Trinity Brew Pub, and especially thanks to Gregory and the staff here at the parlor for doing all they are doing for live music here in Providence and Rhode Island at large. But uh, with no further delay, let's talk to Leland Baker. How's it going, bud? Good, man. Good. Good uh, to see you. Trying to stay cool. Try, try. <laughs> try. I know, man. It's hot. After I say that, I'm wearing these long sleeves and hat. But I know. Well, I mean, but you got to look fresh, man. That's <laughs> trying, good. Trying. Now, how's things? How's uh, how's gigging life now that we're yeah. kind of coming out of it a little bit? It's uh, as we kind of were saying before. It's it's yeah. just kind of thrown right back into it, you know. And so I'm trying to catch up and get the endurance back, but um. But it's been going well. Staying yeah. busy. Definitely staying busy. So thankful. Yeah. thankful we were talking that. about how the humidity is kind of affecting the reeds on the horn a little bit. Oh, yeah. With all yeah. that. Yeah. It's constant battle. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you playing lately? So um, I picked up a regular or my regular gig that I had before COVID at uh, Cortland Club in, um, in Providence off of uh, Broadway on Cortland Street. Um, so I'm back there once a week. Uh, we do two sets, me and my trio, um, and that's been a blast just to get back to that. Yeah. That uh, not only just that gigging environment, doing what we do as musicians, performing and feeding off that energy, but um, that place is like special. It's it, it has such a good vibe, and it's a uh, it's a great um, it's a cocktail bar. Um, so now yeah, what, what's it about the vibe of it? What it, what is it? 
Oh, you know, it's like a speakeasy. It's one of those oh, speakeasy man. joints. So, you know, you can drive by it easily. It looks like an apartment. Yeah. Um, but Jay, the, the owner um, over there, has has done some great stuff um, with that place. And we started doing that residency. It was almost a year. Um, and then COVID, had everything shut down in March. It would have been a year in May that Ooh, we were we yeah. were there. Um, but now we picked right back up where we left from. And, uh, it, it, yeah, it's been a good good vibe. Selling out both sets, both shows every really? week. Really? Yeah, so. Wow. Um, and, the, and the crowd's attentive, and so it's, it's been th- a good time. I think people are really, from what I've seen, you know, people are really kind of rearing to go on this. Mm. They're really ready to see live music again. Yep. And especially... With jazz, you know, in the kind of before times, it seemed like it was always a little bit tough to kind of get people to come out to things. So mm. knowing that they're coming, you know, and selling out at Cortland, that's really right. cool, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the first the first week, it was just like, didn't it's like we haven't left, you know? Yeah. So that was cool. And we've been there, it's got to be the fifth fifth or sixth week this this uh, coming Sunday, so. Oh, nice. Um, so that's been going well. Um, and then just picking up different gigs, freelancing stuff um here and there um my band in brooklyn is um getting more more and more work as new york starts to open up that's quarter water right? quarter water so yeah. it's a hip-hop um fusion band that i'm in um so we got some stuff coming up in july out in new york and then as well as in providence um so yeah man and some couple other collaborations i'm working on right now with uh, oh, some nice. other artists so just just trying to make up for lost time yeah, I mean, it, yeah. that was that was one of the <clears throat> hardest parts, I think, about the kind of immediacy of the pause right when it happened in March was that it just mm. it kind of shut the door on everything that was happening. Right. So what was that? I don't I don't mean to bring you back into a bad space no, no. or anything, but what was it like to kind of make that transition from being a because you were a fairly regular mm. live gigging musician out in Providence and. In Boston, New York, I mean, it was you were making things happen in a few different areas. What was it like to just kind of shutter that part of the business and then transition into figuring out what was next? Yeah, it, I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't say it was difficult. It was, yeah, I feel like for everybody, I'm sure it was kind of like what the what's what's happening. Number yeah. one, but as an artist, it was um, it just happened so quick. It took a while to like process it, and. Uh, you know, once I realized there's like nothing you can do about it, this seems like we're in it for the long haul. Um, I used the time to just kind of try to hone my craft and work on things I've been wanting to get to. You know, you know how it goes. Sometimes you're sometimes just working and trying to gig, yeah. and you don't really have time to always focus on your craft or things you've been wanting to get to in regards to your um, your uh, your artistic practice. So anyhow, I used that like month and that first month or two. Um, I really got working on some things, which felt good. Nice. That felt good. So trying to transform that negative energy into something positive, um, which worked out for me. And within that, um, I got into like some grant writing. Oh, nice. You know, nice. some things I always things I always thought about doing, just never found the time, never knew how to approach it. You know, looking for monies to support projects that you know I want to create <clears throat> artistic projects. So um, I did that, and um, and made, uh, met some cool people in the process. Nice. I have formed collaborations through through those um, interactions. Yeah, and when you say, you know, that the pause kind of gave you time to focus on <clears throat> projects that you want to work on, that's mm-hmm. that's one of the things that I kind of felt like right when it when we were maybe about a couple months in. Mm-hmm. I remember looking at my wife and saying, you know, I, I feel bad because secretly I had wanted in that last year. Mm-hmm. I was like, I really just wanted to kind of take some time off to sit and work on some new music and mm-hmm. really work on the craft and everything. And I kind of feel bad that like, this is the way I got it. You yeah, know, it's yeah, like yeah. You, you feel like really horrible to have that time because of everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. But you also, there's that weird gratefulness that you, you've also feel because it's now you do have the time, especially with you sitting in doing all these different gigs and all that stuff. Sometimes mm-hmm. it must be hard to kind of focus on, what it is not that you're not doing what you want to do but yeah. stuff that's kind of just for you is it what do you find that is hard sometimes when you're so focused on the next gig the next gig the yeah. next gig to really sit down and just take time to 
to write or to to practice deeply some function mm. of the music that you never really get to otherwise. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So I, that's what this pause, you know, a lot at this in the, in the very beginning, especially when we were all locked in our houses, pretty much. Um, just like I can't be nothing I can do yeah. about it. You know, I'm not just gonna sit in uh, in sorrow. So, um, but yeah, on a regular basis, you know, kind of. Sometimes you don't really get. Sometimes it's not as fulfilling, you know. Yeah. And so that felt good to get back to like the whole passion of 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 things in terms of an artist. You well, know, for me, anyhow. You no, because because I mean? purpose can get kind of foggy mm-hmm. when you're constantly like we were just talking about five minutes ago when you're constantly pushing for the next gig mm-hmm. when you're having a just you're kind of thrown up against the wall and especially being someone who is trying to make their living completely as an artist or as an educator or whatever, you know, through music, right. You know, that's, that's a powerful force and it's obviously something that inspires you and keeps you moving. But when your back is against the wall and you feel like you're trying to constantly fight these battles and get these gigs, Mm -hmm. it wears you down. So having Mm -hmm. that time is a bit of a blessing, but what were the kind of, I mean, cause you know this this series is called Between the Notes. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I we can get into a lot of your backstory, but sometimes I think what people want to know, especially with jazz, is the kind of what trying to give them a, a sense of what the music is. So, what what did you first of all? What did you play today? What were the kind of selections of what you played today? Oh, um, I forgot. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, well, that's the thing. Think, it's like yeah. just calling charts. Like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, let's do this. No, I think uh, we played. Um, some uh, classic standards, uh, but there's no greater love, uh, body and soul, great ballad. Um, ben Webster, great sax player, has a great version of that tune. Um, um, played a blues, and I believe we played um, "Remember." Yeah, yeah. Which Hank Mobley um, has one of my favorite versions of that. Yeah, that's standard. a classic. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, now when you're approaching preparing repertoire mm. for for a gig like this what are you, what are your kind of considerations especially when you were only playing with a bass player mm-hmm. what are the kind of things that you're looking to you know kind of do in this space hmm. I, it's a weird question it's not yeah, a good yeah, question yeah. but yeah. it was a question no, no, it's good. Yeah. i was kind of waiting for that motorcycle yes. um yeah they, we got traffic outside yeah, like yeah. right along this road uh I mean, honestly, any any space I get into, um, not to deflect from the question, but any space I get into, I try to just take the same, um, the same momentum and the same um, goal, you know, yeah. the same feeling. Um, whether it's a duo, you know, whether it's a trio, a quartet, you know. Now, of course, you have more room, more things are happening when you have more pieces or whatever. Yeah. But um, but honestly, I didn't really think too much about um, the music in regards to the the setup. Right. I just thought of it as you know we got a few minutes and um, you know we're just gonna swing and play some some classics. And, nice. You know, see where it goes. Now, when you I, th- I wanted to, you said something really good there. Mm-hmm. Is that no matter the ensemble, you're always <clears throat> aiming for the same goal. Mm-hmm. Now, for you personally, what is that goal when you're entering into any situation, whether it's playing with quarter water when you're playing here uh, with with just Ian mm-hmm. uh, playing bass? Like, what is the what is the goal for you when you're yeah. when you're improvising or when you just enter into music when you're playing? Yeah, I mean to connect and, and meaning that like connecting with the audience, but connecting with something that's bigger than myself and I think everybody, which is. Um, you know, there's a special thing that musicians are able to tap into, and it's uh, not to sound too mystic, but it's a, it's a, it's definitely a um, a power that we don't have, but we're given. We have that ability to really tap into something that's not surface level. Right. You know what I mean? It's just it, it extends beyond you know every day of what we know everyday society to be like. So, just trying to really connect with that and. Um, and be true to myself and just to be honest, just to have thankful for my voice, you know, meaning my sound on saxophone and just to try to 
let that come out and hopefully connect with somebody and they feel yeah. it in some kind of way. Also, you know, for me too, it's kind of like a sacred um, thing. And every, any bandstand I step onto, I, I treat it as a sacred space because I'm having the ability or given the um, opportunity, I should say, and having the ability to express something that my um, ancestors kind of put here long ago and may have not had that same space to right. express. So for me, it's a very, very much of a, a, a cultural and spiritual kind of right. well, there's, um, thing. Is there something of a duty in that that you feel <clears throat> that it's like to, to pay homage mm. to all that? What is that? What is that like for you? Where did you first develop that kind of feeling? Was yeah. it just through listening? You just said, like, this is, this is a way for me to kind of connect with my ancestry, with my, with my spirit in a different way. Mm-hmm. What was that moment for you where it first kind of clicked in that music would be the vessel for that? Mm. I would say once I was 14, once I picked up saxophone. Yeah. I mean, it came before that. Like, I was able, I just... It's hard to explain. It was like an intangible thing. I just heard and felt, you know, certain um, certain things when I listened to music, you know, especially um, black music, black American music, African American music, which pretty much is American music. Um, but, uh, you know, when I heard certain these certain elements, they just connected in a, in a way. And then, you know, the older I got and the more educated and informed I got um, in regards to just historically um, the more I felt like it was, I don't want to say like a duty, because then it feels like work. Right. But you know what I mean? But definitely um, something that I'm conscious of. Yeah. You know what I mean? When I, when I, if given the opportunity to play, you know. No, it's a, so. it's a special gift that I don't think mm-hmm. a lot of people will get when not being, if they don't have something to sort of connect them with that, if they don't have that, mm-hmm. that vessel that you do. It's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, because music is so ethereal mm. and it can be so easily tied to to spirit into into lineage that it's mm. just and especially, you know, the the kind of black American experience and the mm. black music that comes from that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's such a it's such a powerful part of music history. Like you said, it is American music history mm-hmm. is black music. So I would imagine that there's a there's just an incredible, there's an incredible lineage that you get to tap into, and that when you find that feeling of music, mm. like you describe, it can feel like it's intangible. But I think you just get that there. There's a sense like that it just kind of comes upon you. Mm-hmm. So you said when you were 14 is when that happened, and it, that's when you first picked up the saxophone for the first time and started playing, or was it a song that you heard was like, <clears throat> oh, that's. I want to go with that instrument. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like a broken record. I tell this story all the But, oh, I mean, it's, it's part of the, I guess, you, you asked. So, um, for me, it was, uh, if we're going to talk about specifics, this guy, Junior Walker. In the, um, Junior Walker, he had a band called Junior Walker and the All-Stars. And he was on the Motown label in the 60s, R&B um, record label. And um, he was a sax player and a vocalist. So my mom always had, you know, she always played the classic R&B and all that stuff around the house. So that's how I heard it. And for me, it just it just clicked. It felt yeah. good. It His sax playing sounded like his actual singing. You know what I mean? So right. it was like, it went from like, oh, you know, that's an instrument. I know that's not a voice, a human voice. But the way he just commanded, you know, this instrument in a way that it didn't sound like a man-made thing anymore. It was just yeah. like, you know, so a part of him. And so soulful and um, honest and beautiful. So I was like, oh, shoot, you know, I want to try to see if I can attempt to play it. Well, that's it's funny because I was recently reading up on uh, Charles Lloyd and he Mm. said something similar that that was not that that was his same kind of entryway, but that that's what he was trying to do Mm -hmm. with saxophone is that he just wanted to connect it as he would his voice. He Mm. thinks about it in the same way. Uh But I, I guess with him, his problem was is that he couldn't really sing that well. Mm. So he said that I had to pick up this piece of plumbing yeah. in order to make it happen. Yeah, you know? yeah, but, yeah. I mean, you know Charles Lloyd. I, oh, yeah. And, I mean, yeah. the brilliance that he possesses right. and his his own unique sound and everything. Right, right. So And actually, yeah, I, uh, I was talking with you earlier that, mm. like, there's a lot of things that I could ask you, but you 
do these great interviews with um I, I don't want to plug anybody else's thing really <laughs> i i don't know if i'm allowed to do that but um where the living room used to be yep. is this great podcast leland and gregory we're both on it gregory in the parlor we're on it and um really great information there about your history and everything and i mean mm-hmm. it's a, it's a really beautiful exploration so mm-hmm. you know if people want to go deeper into that then I would highly suggest going and checking that out. James mm. Toomey did a great job yeah, yeah, kind of did. talking with you about that. Yep. But um, so let's get into the nerdy stuff then. Oh, okay. This is motifs between the notes. Yeah. So let's talk about all the different notes. So that transition from C to B that you made in measure like 30. No, I'm not, we're not going to get like that. No, we're not going to do that. That would, that would be pretty, about it too. be like, okay, what was that? No, but when you're, um, because jazz is, is such a, is such an incomplete term <clears throat> mm-hmm. for what for what we do for and for the music that you play, but with the kind of term jazz comes like all the ideas of theory and all this mm-hmm. stuff. When you when you break it down, what kind of concepts do you do you find that you return to most? Mm-hmm. In you know, is it is it just a, a sonic thing? Is it like a scalar pattern? Is it what is it sort of? When you're first entering a tune, yep. what is the kind of core uh, stuff you're trying to take from that? Mm. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. When you say sonic and you know patterns in regards to theory and language, um, so to speak. You know, I got certain like things, um, devices or whatever that I go to that I know. But then, hopefully, you know, part of that is leading me somewhere else that I haven't been to before. Or that you know I haven't explored too much, you know that's that has still some, that's still a little unfamiliar, you know, yeah. to kind of keep everything spontaneous and creative. Um, but yes, yeah, so I would say it's both, you know, some sonic vibing with the band, whoever I'm playing with, um, and then also going to some stuff that I've worked out in terms yeah. of, you know. Well, because you you're you're a teacher, right? You do private lessons every once in a while. You, yeah, that's what they say. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what that's what that's what I claim. That's, that's on the business claim, card. Right. <laughs> now, what's a, what when you're first approaching jazz? Because, like I said, it is a you know it's it's pretty tough when you first enter into it. There's a whole lot of knowledge that kind of gets uh, thrown upon you, and it's like now you're kind of got to wade into the water. What's the first thing that you approach students with and say like, hey, man, if we're going to do this, this is how we're going to start. Yeah, I mean, I would uh, sound, you know, sound and um, just trying to build upon those blocks. Um, Now, when you say sound, do you mean like specific to the instrument or just your own personal? Well, it definitely takes a minute, you know, to get that, you know, to really. I don't know. I kind of always thought I heard I heard what I wanted to sound like, but I, I I. that wasn't my sound. Yeah. And then when I found my sound, I found I, I became more connected to it to where I fully accepted it. And, um, you know, now I work on honing it, you know, and developing it. So I think um, definitely just the sound of the instrument at first yeah. to get that connection. And um, and yeah, just trying to embody the music, you know, really listen to. I mean, that's one thing I had when I was younger. I didn't have formal training really not until I got to college. Um, obviously, there was a lot of stuff I didn't know, but I always was listening to music. I was always listening to the things that brought me to wanting to play saxophone um, and then finding new things out of that. You know, um, So that's important because even if you don't get the chance to practice or if you don't know that much or you sound like a dying duck, you know, which <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, that... <laughs> That's definitely the case with saxophone sometimes. So you went for my sound. That's what I sound like. Oh, so that's man. I'm trying my best. <laughs> I'm trying to sound like you. Oh, no. um, but that's actually before we because I like that thread that we're going on, but I don't want to miss this because I think one of the things that's hardest with with saxophone is that a lot of your sound, and I didn't really notice this until I was in college and mm-hmm. I was holding up. Uh, I think. Uh, saxophone, another saxophone player, Chris Gagnon, you know, is a buddy mm-hmm. of ours. Chris, yeah. He, uh, he got this brand new tenor and he was like, Hey man, I want to try out yours. You want to mm-hmm. try out mine? Right. I'm like, okay. So we just like switched yeah. horns and it was, it was the weirdest thing because mine is completely different than his. His was right. like an older model. Mine was like slightly newer, but it's like, they're both really good horns. Mm-hmm. 
I still sounded exactly like me, yep. and he still sounded exactly like him. Because I don't know if it's someone explained it to me. It's like it has to do with your bone structure, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like your voice. You're stuck with that. You can't. You can hone it, yeah, but you can't really change it. Right. What you said something about you didn't really like your sound at first. Mm-hmm. What, what what was it about your sound that you were so kind of upset with? Well, besides you know, being a beginner on the horn, but even eventually when I got to, even throughout college for the most part, it just wasn't, at the time, I couldn't get what I was um, listening to, you know what I mean? Like in terms of sound, there are certain guys like Kirk Whalum, um, still one of my favorite sax players today. I mean, that guy has a sound and a half, so soulful. Um, You know, other guys I was listening to early on, like, Grover Washington, all those guys, and then eventually I got into more sh- like j- straight ahead jazz, Coltrane and Joe Henderson. Um, but I was just, I don't know, it just, it wasn't like, and then I realized, like, well, that's their sound. They they honed that sound. They've worked on that, you know that that's in them, right? You know what I mean? We could listen to, you know, listening is important. Like I said, and and transcribing, as you know, is, you know, that's. Um, um, highlighted i should say or or promoted especially within jazz music to learn the language transcribe what people are playing so you can start to understand it but still at the end of the day you gotta you know you find your own voice through that um so eventually i I understood that and then i think that led me to um my voice and you know my gift um, yeah and just working on that you know yeah and just trying to hone what you have, you look kind of the natural gifts that you have. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's who are you, who are your kind of guys early on? I know you just said mm-hmm. Kirk Whalum, you just said, um, yeah, a few names, but was there somebody that you just kind of attached to real quick and just started transcribing things, or was it you just decided to listen to a whole lot of people trying mm-hmm. to get as much as you can, or did you hyper focus into one person? Yeah, I kind of had periods, I just went through put one guy on or whoever or a handful of people like on rotate pretty much um and then i move on to something else um but in the very beginning it was voice it was it was like i was just trying to emulate um vocalists you know mm. singers and like i said a lot of the classic r&b stuff because that's what i grew up with you know growing up with my mom um so even if it was you know patty labelle or marvin gay or yeah stevie wonder or the temptations like those sounds um, knowing that you know I'm playing a saxophone, I'm not singing, but just trying to get the uh, the articulations, the phrases, um, and that that depth of tone. Yeah, you know, um, whether it was something like a raspy quality to their voice, you know, all those things. I was starting to pick up details within within that music first, and then eventually I started uh, listening to sax players. Did you ever want to be a vocalist at all? Was that ever considered? Or I mean, yeah, I. I but I can't sing like <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I <laughs> wanted it, but right, unfortunately. Right. unfortunately, so um, so I realized sax, I can somewhat get a little close and yeah. manipulate it like a, a voice, anyhow. So. Now, was it always? I mean, has it just always been saxophone the entire time, and it's always been tenor, or is there <laughs> times where you're like, oh, maybe I'll get into alto, maybe mm-hmm. I'll start playing the baritone, or mm-hmm. I know you play. I think you played a little bit of soprano, mm-hmm, but um, yeah. Is it is it just always been tenor because that's where you feel like your voice is strongest or? Yeah, tenor was definitely the one that stuck out to me, and I feel like, yeah, like you said, I feel like that's where my voice is in terms of what I'm hearing. But soprano has been another favorite of mine because I'm I'm able now to play the stuff I hear higher. Yeah, you know, without having to play. Here comes the nerdy part. Play altissimo and all that on uh, tenor. It just comes out naturally on soprano. So. Right. Um, yeah, I've been getting into soprano, dabbling anyhow. But I started with alto, and then I went to tenor. See, I did the same thing. <clears throat> yeah. I did, because they, I think they said, it's like, we have enough tenor players. Yeah, yeah. Or it, yeah. Was, it was either that or it was a punishment. I don't know. <laughs> I, I wasn't a good practicer, so they're yeah. like, okay, we can't, we can't let this kid. He's just going to ruin it. <laughs> All the good parts were on tenor. Yeah, so it's yeah, like, yeah. For those of you who don't know, by the way, altissimo is sort of the extended range of uh, the saxophone register, so it gets to a certain point. Uh, it gets to a certain point on the horn, and then you have to do all these fancy tricks with fingerings and your and your mouth and everything to get up higher. Mm-hmm. Just for the people who, you yeah. Know. 
I mean, everyone knows saxophone stuff, but you know, just for the one guy in the back who's Ooh, like going, I don't know, right? That. right who's unfortunate? Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> it's well, it's it's hard to cultivate those different techniques when you're also, especially in a jazz context, when you're working so hard on your the technical side of your study, yep. but you're also working on the theoretical and you're also working on the language. So mm-hmm. when you enter a practice session, um, what what are the things you're working on first? What are the things you're working on most? Mm. Again, these days, back and forth with certain things. But um, definitely, I think it's important at this point where I'm at now to start off. I usually start off most of my practice sessions, unless it's like I got a lot of music to learn for a gig coming up and, you know, go right to the music. But um, just um, playing, shedding by myself or one would say jamming by myself, exploring different sounds. And in that immediate moment, what I'm hearing, you know what I mean? Um, or like a scale or pattern I've been working on, and then just explore that. In are you really regimented? Like, is there like a, a a specific like I want I need to do five minutes on this? I need to do five minutes on that? Or are you just mm-hmm. kind of free flow? You just follow wherever sort of yeah. creativity takes you. Pretty free flow. Right. <laughs> I'm bad with just so if I could see the clock, like okay, I got two hours before I have to do my next thing. So yeah. let's see what happens. You know what I mean? I yeah, get A, B, and C done within two hours. But as far as like ten minutes, fifteen minutes, not really. Now that's <clears throat> well, because I'm so I've always been such a bad practicer mm-hmm. that I've just developed habits of just even if I'm trying to get in the flow, my flow is just just kind of noodling around, yeah. and then oh look at that, forty five minutes. I guess <laughs> I practiced. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. what I have to do is I have to be real, really regimented in that and say okay it's going to be five minutes for this because my focus will just fly Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. the fact that you can kind of stay on task and Mm -hmm. get i mean because clearly for people who just watch the Mm -hmm. the stream can see that you're getting into some really interesting places Mm -hmm. now what is it what's like a kind of typical day for you now that we're sort of re-entering into the music world and mm-hmm. live music is becoming a thing. What's a what's a day look like for a Leland Baker? Mm. I'll sleep. <laughs> First and foremost, yeah. one major thing: sleep. sleep. Um, then maybe uh, the news. Eat, sleep again. Then I no. Like, I'm uh, saying, watch <laughs> the news. Decide to just no go music to bed involved again. any at all. Yeah. Um, no, I mean you know I. I it goes all it goes all over the place, but um, in terms of music, you know, I try to just take time for myself in the beginning of the day. Yeah, you know what I mean. And then once I get to the saxophone, it's um, if I got to work on some music, learning some music, um, and working out maybe some ideas, then I'll focus on that. Yeah. Other parts is um, of that practice will be like sound once again, just trying to. Just keep honing the sound, whether it's intonation, which is like, you know, getting your pitch and tuning and all that stuff right. Working on aesthetic technique, which can be vibrato, um, you know, like the uh, the gimmicky stuff on saxophone, yeah. whatever is honking or altissimo or growling or, you know, whatever, tonguing. Um, You're just trying to increase the bag of... Not yeah. tricks, but just what is available exactly. to you when you're playing. Exactly. And then, of course, transcription. Listening, even if I don't get to like actually transcribing that day, but listening to you know some cats or some tunes, especially tunes that I'm working on, hearing other people play them, other versions of them, and then um, eventually working out maybe some lines that I liked that player, um, that that player played. Nice. You know what I mean? So it's just... So last, we got about... Five minutes left, so I just want to ask one more question, which mm-hmm. is pretty much the most wide-ranging question that you could be asked. But what's what's mm-hmm. next? Mm-hmm. On the you know what's coming up again <clears throat> now that we're re-entering life? What yeah. is uh what is going to be next? What's the next thing you want to do? Um, man, not to go through what we went through last year, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, just to keep just to keep taking these opportunities that are coming and and um, not take them for granted and to. Um, yeah, keep playing and booking gigs. It's been a beautiful, um, you know, uh, welcoming, you know, so to speak, yeah. or, or, you know, getting back to everything. It's been beautiful just to see people I haven't seen in a long time, cat, other cats in the scene, playing with people, uh, playing at some of my favorite venues um, within Rhode Island. Um, so, yeah, that, and then working on some uh, artistic collaborations that I started last year, which I'm excited for. Some very unique ones. Um, one, I'm working with Orlando Hernandez, which is a 
who is, I should say, uh, a great tap dancer. Nice. An artist. Um, so we got a, a project that I were calling um, Roots and Rhythm, Rhythm and Roots. Um, and then starting a few other collaborations within that um, same kind of pool. You know, nice. visual artist, Nafis White. Um, great, great visual artist. So, yeah, different things, exploring different um, ideas and aesthetics and whatnot within the artistic realm right. of things. Trying to yeah. find a way to kind of merge your sound with somebody else's sound. Yeah, and really just trying to like highlight certain things that are important to us. You know, the basis of that project is to kind of highlight African disparate culture and tradition through um, dancing and music. Nice. Um, so we've been expanding upon that and got a few grants from um, different people. Brown University got a grant from them uh, that they're extending uh, next month. So um, we're excited about that. And, um, and yeah, man, you know, and I just started uh, aviation school. So your boy about to be what? Like, yeah, flying a little bit too. Uh oh, second <laughs> so, career. I smell a second career. Yeah, you're no. gonna fly to the gigs now. Yeah, yeah right. All of a sudden, yeah, a helicopter is gonna come down. And yeah, yeah. got to get a plane. But no, I've been um, just staying busy. Nevertheless. Nice, man. So, well, if people want to know uh, more about what you're doing or where you're playing next, where can they find you? On Instagram, uh, and then I got a website, LelandBaker.com, uh, and then I, yeah, Instagram, LelandBaker89. Awesome. Um, well, Leland, thanks so much for talking to me yeah. and uh, talking to the people at Motif Between yep. the Notes. Thank so you. I just want to say thank you once again to Leland for being here. <laughs> I want to thank you for tuning into the stream. And, of course, thank you, Gregory, at the parlor. And, um, yeah, once again, we are sponsored. Uh, this is Motif's Between the Notes, sponsored by R1 Entertainment Center, Dash, uh, Bolt Coffee, Trinity Brew Pub, Um yeah, so thank you so much. My name is Ben Shaw. You can find me at Benjamin Shaw Music. And other than that, have a great day.